Hello and welcome to Steel City Business Uncut. The first episode of every month is where we dig a little bit deeper with an amazing guest in a raw, honest, largely unedited conversation. I'm James Marriott. I'm your host. I run an audio marketing business in Sheffield, which is called Sound Media. And on Steel City Business Uncut, I'm joined by co-host Stephen Kenwright, who was co-founder of Rise at Seven before exiting in late 2022. The show is recorded at the awesome studios at The Curious at Castle House in the heart of Sheffield City Centre. Right, let's do it. Welcome to Steel City Business and welcome to Steel City Business Uncut, uh, the first episode of the month where we delve a little bit deeper with an amazing guest. Let's do some introductions. I'm James Marriott. I'm very pleased to be joined by our co-host on these deep dive episodes, Stephen Kenwright. Hello. Hello. And it's a pleasure to introduce our guest today. I prepared this last night. So founder of Little Mester's Agency and outsource marketing director, Tom Scott. Hello. I wanted to call you Headmester, mm. that's, but that's not... If it's not on your LinkedIn anymore, I'm assuming that you no longer refer to yourself as that. Not really, no. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll get into all yeah, this. We'll get into it. Um, so thank you for joining us, Tom. I know you... Obviously, you've been on a, a bit of a journey over the last 12, 18 months with your work and your business, which we're, we're going to kind of you know delve into that. And the point of these uncut episodes is to go that bit deeper, uh, get under the surface, and no topic is off the table, certainly in terms of the questions that we ask. You can tell us to bog off if you don't want to answer something, but that's a different different matter. And, you know, there is real minimal editing going into this. It is just an honest, raw conversation. And I am a bit lazy, so that saves me some time in terms of doing editing. So everyone's a winner in this equation. That's good. This is the first one we've done. So, Stephen, obviously, it's great to have you uh, here and have you with us. The plan is for you for for a while to be um, co-hosting on these uncut um, episodes because I hit you at a bit of a loose end, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> we've got some really good guests lined up over the course of the next few uh, months. I do think co-host is a bit of an odd phrase uh, because kind of like host, co-host, guest – this is just a conversation. That's why we're here. We're going to have a conversation. So uh, all those kind of labels and stuff, I think, are nonsense. But obviously, you've had an interesting 12, 18 months of your own. You were one of the first guests of kind of the original run of this podcast when it first existed in, mm-hmm. in 2019, which was in the early days of Rise at Seven. Um, obviously, for anyone that doesn't know, you co-founded Rise at, at Seven. And I think back then... I can't remember how many employees that you had, but you I think you were sharing an office at the time. You were we just were, yeah. looking at, at kind of getting your own office um, and stuff like that. And, and things went fairly mad from that point for Rise. I mean, things went mad in the world because we had a pandemic a few months after that. But certainly for Rise at Seven, things, things went really crazy. And then you exited the business last year. Mm-hmm. Before we dig into things with Tom, it kind of feels right to ask you first of all, why did you decide the time was right to, to step back? Well, the purpose of the business, really, when we, we started the business, me and my co-founder, and we had um, an investor as well, was to grow it as quickly as possible and sell it. And my fo- my thought at the time was, ne- now is the time, right? So we'd kind of come out of a lot of the pandemic bit of the pandemic, the bits that are related to disease and stuff, yeah, yeah. that was all over, or it seemed very much like it was on the, on, the, on the decrease anyway. And the repercussions of that were just on the horizon. So we just got to that point where we started getting a lot of staff asking for 50 grand pay rises and those kind of things that yeah. were coming on mass. Yeah. And it just felt very unsustainable. So whatever was going to happen, whatever business, it doesn't matter how quickly it had grown at the time, is going to get some degree of disruption. And we'd reached the point we were going to, we were trying to get to. And it was never a really long-term plan for me. So, you know, we were kind of looking at whether we might go to market. And in the end, we decided the best thing for the business, the best thing for me and the best thing for Carrie, my co-founder, who wanted to stay in the business was yeah. for me to be the one who left yeah. and go and pursue other things after after a period of time, you know. And let's, let's also not play down the fact that through a pandemic, through 110 people joining the business in two years, that that's hard work. Yeah. 
And, you know, me and my wife had just had uh, our son at the very beginning of Rise and all sorts of stuff going on in, in my personal life as well. So it just felt like a good time actually to have a break. And I, I've spoken to some business owners who've said that it probably was a good time for me to have a break. So I'm not complaining about that at all. Uh, is, it's not far off. Is it a year now since since then? Yeah, I officially left in November 2022. Oh, right, so more than a year. So, yeah, a bit more than a year. And it really took a few months to actually get uh, an exit sorted properly because naturally, you know, you you don't want to just kind of rip a hole in the business when you're leaving. So there's a period of time with handing stuff over and bringing in new people and succession and all that kind of thing. So it, it feels like I've been at home for a really long time now. I mean, it's a fair, it's a fair amount of time. That's <laughs> like a full, a full year of, uh, I was going to say twiddling your thumbs, but obviously yeah. you haven't. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's loads of stuff that you've been working on. I, I have to pay reference to the fact that not least the fact that, I mean, you look completely different. Like you've, <laughs> you've, you've clearly um, spent a fair amount of that time in the, in the gym and, and kind of working on yourself. Yeah. Um, and I find that interesting because, uh, I mean, I want to ask a little bit about kind of what you've been up to during that time. And I guess kind of processing, you know, that experience of, of founding Rise and, and everything that, that happened. When, when you did sit down and you had a bit of time and you kind of look back and you kind of compute and, and start figuring out, looking back on all the stuff that, that's happened, how did you feel about it all? How, how did you look back upon that kind of two, three years? Um, well, uh, the secret, by the way, is Huel, right? So I've had like <laughs> so much Huel and that's what's, that's, no. On, I, I kind of look back at it and I've kind of come full circle with it because there's been periods of time when it felt very fresh and when I'm having conversations with people who are still in the business and, you know, people who have left quite recently. And I think you can't, again, play down how stressful that period of time, pandemic being at home for everyone and the sheer growth of the business, what toll that takes on lots of people, especially what Rise at Seven had at the time, which is a very young workforce. A lot of people who were living at home with their parents, who were working in the bedroom, who were living in the bedroom, who are not getting out an awful lot from, you know, just the way that the world is at the time. I kind of felt a little bit guilty to begin with about how much actually, you know, being in in any business like that can affect people. Absolutely can, myself included. And I've kind of come round a lot more because I've seen those people still speak to most of those people. They're doing really well, uh, pretty much unanimously doing really well, you know, whether that's in a career perspective or actually just, uh, you know, glad to have experienced at the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's also not a unanimous experience. Like there are so many people who have thought through the whole Rise at Seven process that this is the best thing that they've ever experienced. You know, there's been no lowlights for some people and there's been, you know, few, fewer highlights for others. But that's kind of how a lot of these businesses go, especially when they're people businesses, especially when, you know, you're joining a workforce that looks completely different in two months time because you've added another 12 people or another 24 people that completely changes a culture. So I, I feel pretty good about it now and I felt pretty good about it right at the beginning and then there was a period of time in the middle where I'm like you know I hope everyone's okay and you've got to also get over the fact that it doesn't matter if I'm there or not it's not going to make them okay if I'm there yeah you know everyone's had their own experience and they they've got to kind of um you know hopefully see the good in that as time goes on it's a heck of a lifestyle change, isn't it? From 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 that, you know, the 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 day to day that you kind of talked about, taking on staff, expanding, new clients coming on board, all the time when you know the, there was a pandemic going on as well. But then also the fact that you've you've got a young child in that equation, and I'm I'm struggling to figure out where you found time to sleep in amongst all that all that stuff. To, to go from that to suddenly almost the exact opposite, you know, as much time as you want to spend uh, with your family. How's that been? Because I'm thinking anything that's that big a change, there's a challenge involved in that, isn't there? There is, yeah. My wife's sick of me. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing. She said, she said a few times recently, you're always here. Um, and and, and that's, that's been the real downside, I think. I, I, before I even started Rise, you know, I had a, a fairly ill-fated short 
time at Pendragon um, in-house, you know, and that's not a, a reflection on the company, bad timing, really. Yeah. Brexit and car, yeah. automotive dealership and all that kind of thing going on. But the reason I did that is because I wanted to be at home. You know, I wanted to stop doing the traveling. My my background is very kind of sales and client consultancy yeah. focused. So three, four days a week in a hotel and on the road and service station lunches and dinners and all that kind of thing. So I wanted to be at home for a long time. My view of the pandemic was I get to be at home a lot and this is really nice. And I get to see my son that I wouldn't have seen anywhere near as much of you know, thinking about the time when when my wife first got pregnant, yeah. my life would have been high pace agency four days a week in a hotel versus Rise at Seven was really comparatively, you know, family friendly Fair, in that yeah. respect. So um, I think the, the the main thing is that's kind of I've got to a little bit further than where I wanted to get to in terms of family time. I've been really lucky with that. You know, there's a there's an in-between here, but that's kind of where I was aiming for because for me, that was a priority all along. Fair enough. Uh, Tom, I'm sorry we've invited you on a podcast and then not spoke to you for the first time. That's all right. Minutes, interesting, interesting lesson. I, it, you know, it does, there is, there's logic here in terms of joining these dots and and and, and why, you know, this is the, the first episode that we decided to record. Partly because we all know each other around this table, don't we? we me, yep. me and you, Tom, we've been friends for quite a few years. We mm-hmm. share a beleaguered love of a terrible football team, <laughs> which we'll, we'll not talk about. Yeah. And obviously we mentioned earlier, Stephen, me and you first recorded a podcast mm-hmm. together years ago and, and kind of stayed in touch since, since then. And I know you two have talked a lot of over the last few yeah. years about your kind of respective journeys and challenges mm-hmm. along the way, which um, I'm sure we'll, we'll probably get into chatting about some of that stuff. Um, so, yeah, we're not deliberately ignoring you. That's fine. At, at this point, so you founded Little Mesters 2020. Yeah, officially launched August 2020. Tell us a little bit about your kind of career up to that point, then, your background. Well, I'd studied in the city, so I, was, I went to both universities, actually. So I dropped out of one course and then went to Hallam. Uh, couldn't find a job here. Right. So I ended up in Leeds for almost seven years Okay, at two different agencies. One was a PR and social mix, and then I moved over to another agency called Engage that does a, a far broader digital mix of stuff. But all throughout it, I did social media, really. So either organic or paid, but I managed to touch on all the other stuff, like app building and stuff like that. And then I met my wife, who lives in Sheffield. We wanted to come and move here. The commute to Leeds was, I mean, I'm sure people have got worse, but I, it start, after a year, it started to really grate on me. Yeah. Um, I requested to work from home, but this is pre-pandemic, and that was, for a lot of people, not going to happen. It didn't happen. So I found a job in Sheffield. Um, and then, yeah, what was there, a year before the pandemic started, I think, something like that. And then that led to, obviously, the same journey as a lot of people, so furlough, Um sort of sat around, I had a lot of time, my, my daughter had been born end of 2019, so it was actually good timing in that sense. I was, yeah. What you were saying about that, it was, I looked back on that time, I was like, actually, it was <laughs> it was quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the t- talk of sort of going back to work happened, and I, this is this is more reflection on me than where I was, but I realised I wanted to do something slightly different. Yeah. And then it came up with the idea of, of Little Messers, actually, on a, on a trip to Kellamala Museum, my dad. So I saw the um, Little Mester's Street and that sort of way of working with the, you know, sort of sm- a small amount of people coming together to have a, to make a product at the end or just making one specific product really well. Yeah. And the original idea of Little Mester's was that I was going to be some sort of almost like a project manager and get yep. the chance to work with some of the best people either in the city or further afield um, to, uh, to sort of execute projects for people. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've forgotten about that actually because it was it was a, a kind of a I suppose it was a unique concept. I, I guess in a lot of ways agencies are all about building just the right teams for the right projects, aren't yeah. they? But you know, you quite explicitly sort of say at the time at the beginning it was just you and and you kind of surround yourself with quite a few freelancers that mm-hmm. you could bring in to deliver projects for clients. So quite a nimble, flexible way of that was a plan working. <laughs> uh, that was the plan. Um, things changed. You started growing you started taking on stuff kind of just talk us through stuff yeah I mean one of the reasons it didn't work out in that model I think I've had a lot of time to reflect on the last 18 months but one of the reasons I think that particular way of working didn't work was the, the newness of the agency meant that the types of clients we had and the fees we could charge in my opinion weren't high enough to then hire the kind of people that I wanted to I, right. you couldn't make money out of it so a good, like, a good SEO freelancer might be five six hundred pound plus a day 
But if your clients are sort of on like one and a half grand retainers and you've got another service to do on top of that, there's, there's no wiggle room. Yeah. I guess the other thing to say is that the work kind of followed me. So I think when, you're, when you start an agency on your, on your own, you are, well, you are the agency, aren't you? And then obviously your experience and your network and stuff kind of gives you obvious work that comes in. So I ended up with a lot of social work, basically. So I had a ton of content creation, content planning. Um, and we got to a point where, very fortunately, it was either stop growing, as in like just keep it just me, or hire someone to keep on, keep on growing. And I guess going back a stage, I never really had that in my mind of like, right, okay, this is an agency that does organic social or paid social. We're going to get as big as we can get. There was no sort of very opposite of what Stephen said, where there was a plan to like grow as fast as you can get out. I just sort of started with, right, I want to create a company that I want to go to work for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which probably tells its own story in the end of how they, <laughs> they both panned out. But yeah, and ultimately we ended up with almost, we had six staff at one point. Uh, and then it, it, it changed. I'm really curious, like if you could go back to that exact moment where you're thinking, I've got the opportunity to either, I can stop growing or yeah. I can hire someone. And knowing what you know now, would you make the same decision? I think that I would, but I think one of the lessons I learned the hardest was about hiring and mm-hmm. and the management of staff. I always want to, don't want to be, I want to say too much, but like, yeah, there's a lot of lessons learned from that process. I think that I would hire slower. Um, mm-hmm. The interview process and other aspects, I think I would have nailed down more and onboarding and all sorts of stuff that you, you I now know I should have known then but you learn as you go along but yeah I think going back I definitely would hire again mm-hmm. if that same scenario happened and I had this knowledge yeah I would just probably do it a bit slower uh, and in terms of work taken on I'd be a bit more purposeful of that as well rather than just there comes a point where I think we just started chasing retainers yeah even if it was if it was totally wrong for everyone yeah so I think that's a problem as well yeah we we, sh- we should just add. You, you mentioned things things changed again. So yeah. you, you kind of got to a point where you you, you took on staff, and then uh, from from the outside looking in, it, it felt like very quickly mm-hmm. suddenly all all those staff went, and it went back to just being you. So you kind of went full circle. It, it did. I I didn't know anything about it until I, I saw you mention it on um, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh right, wow, that's you know that that seemed to happen very quickly. I'm guessing it didn't pan out like. No, not really. I think I'm trying to think when it all happened. Was there a point where you kind of thought this is not working? I've got to do something. Yeah, there were, we were talking about agencies and you want to sort of like the ways they are and what you enjoy about them. And I kind of realised that I'd inadvertently, and this is not to do with the people, but I'd kind of built an agency that I wasn't particularly enjoying going to work at. Right. And um, whether that be whatever it might be, um, and that's when I sort of realised I was a bit too far into it, and then I was trying to make positive changes to it and then so there was a mixture of like me feeling like that and then in about March of last year I think uh, might be a bit later but two clients sort of pulled the plug because they were building in-house teams just to clarify yeah. uh, they pulled the plug and then that left me with very little room to manoeuvre some people had to go which was quite an uncomfortable realisation I sort of sat down and did all the maths and I was like there's no way that I can make this yeah. work so I decided at that point after a conversation with um, my wife that it was probably best to to sort of go back to go back to just me for for a number of reasons. But yeah, I feel like most people would would just fall to bits in that situation because I, I want to say this in a in a way that doesn't come across as being like aggressive or standoffish. But you know, you you could argue that that experience you could sum up as as the business failing. Yeah, and that would destroy a lot of people. And yet you're sat here, it's only a few months later, you're sat here talking to us about it. I actually feel like you've bounced back really quite strongly in terms of you've, you've almost gone back to your original business plan of, of being like a bit of a central hub and obviously kind of doing the, the outsource marketing stuff a little bit more uh, yeah. as well. If that was me, I think I'd just want to run hide under a, a rock or something and, and never want to be seen in public a- again. And yet you seem to have really taken it in your stride. There was definitely period of like it was very pleasant like the whole process of making people redundant i despise horrible would never ever want to do it again yeah like people i really like and still talk to quite regularly mm-hmm. i had yeah. to do that too and it was you know the build-up to it and planning it was rotten thankfully I, I spoke to a lot of people steven and a few of us that i'm lucky enough to know and gave me some really good advice to how to do it properly um which i think we did and then yeah what followed was 
<laughs> it was a, a month where I essentially had about four people's work to do by myself, which kept me very distracted and very busy. And then when obviously some of that work was the work that was leaving sort of dropped off. I found myself for a couple of months where I was definitely, I now know I was not in a great place. I was ha still having to do work, and, but I was very much processing what had happened. And that, like I was reluctant to talk about it, I think. I think I, did, I do still view it as a failure. I think I could have done things a lot differently. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, I've got, I've got a mortgage and a family and I, there wasn't really an awful lot of room to just bunker down and stop. So I've not been able to. Wouldn't mind a month off, but that's going to happen. And then, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think the way that it happened in terms of how, how I hope you looked after the team, that made it easier. I don't think there was any ill feeling there. Well, I hope there wasn't. And some some clients stayed on, so I had I had income coming in. Um, got really good accountants, uh, which made planning for all that stuff because there was like VAT and whatever issues to resolve as well that I'm just about done with. So there was a lot of like fallout from that you don't think of. I didn't think of either. Like you know yeah. contracts you've taken out on the software with like six seats on, and you're only using one of them, but there's no way out of it. So you're just paying like ninety percent more than you should be for a year. Oh, yeah. um, but yeah, then I've settled on, you know, what am I, What do I like doing? I like mentoring people and talking to people and being out and about and having that long, like, more holistic view of marketing. So, yeah, marketing, outsourced marketing director or CMO, what you want to call it, is felt sort of natural. Yeah. When you think about, like, talking about uh, the failure of the business, like, how clear in your mind was what success would have looked like, actually? Like, did you have a really good picture of what you thought would be a win or was it kind of like a just sort of you know that didn't feel very concrete and actually the the, the failure feels more real i think as soon as uh, i started taking on the staff that's when i sort of i did sat down and sit down and do some planning in terms of you know three one three five ten years down the road what success or what the business could look like that was meant to be like i didn't really want to get much bigger than 10 people i was quite keen on this sort of like small well-run boutique high 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 quality agency yeah and then that 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 didn't really happen for whatever reason but I, like i said i think it was more to do with um yeah tons of learning about work, work we took on and other aspects i was just trying to for a long time success in my head was making it like ultra profitable mm -hmm. and i think where i got dragged into the business i got taken away from the new business and we ended up bringing it in and that it all just sort of compounded and it catches up with you basically is what i'm getting at if you're not what you're talking about, that vision of success, if you're not yeah. actually, if you're not doing enough to work towards it, it sounds really obvious when you say it out loud, but yeah, it just compounds and compounds. You can get away with it for a while, but eventually it'll it'll come and get you. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult to kind of square that vision and, and, and make it feel like um, the, the direction of travel rather than something really abstract. Because if I think about my agency, like I viewed it as a very binary, we either sell it, or we don't sell it because that's mm -hmm. what it was there for. That was the purpose. So the way that I view it from my point of view is one nil I lost. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a failure in that respect because I had one particular goal that I was going for and didn't achieve that in the way that I wanted to achieve it. But then, you know, there were, there were plus points as well. And, you know, there's, it's not always just, a, in, in my view, at least it's not a, a, a black and white, this is a failure or this is a success. No, but I think that's what would have made my life easier would have been to have this like, right, okay, these are, even if it's on more than one thing, but these are the three things we're aiming for. Here's how we're going to get there. I think I, it was too um, changing changing things just as and when mm -hmm. rather than like sticking to a, right, that's where we're going to get over there and we're going to turn things down if we have to or we're going to do whatever we need to do um, to get there. I think I was I'm on reflection too, too agile <laughs> if there is such a thing. Mm -hmm. Something that's, I guess, a little bit unique in your case, Tom, is that a lot of this particularly the, the early days, is documented because mm. you we, we worked together to produce a podcast. It's literally called I Started an Agency. And it <laughs> yeah. was you just talking about where things were at, decisions that you'd made, um, kind of future plans and, and stuff like that. And, and you really wanted to kind of document mm. that in quite a raw 
wait, so, uh, there, there were points where I was almost a little bit surprised about quite how honest you were on that podcast because some of it was stuff that was, you know, a little bit of a peek behind the scenes. Mm. But that was something you were really keen on doing. You wanted to document it in case it helped other people and just to be quite, I guess, quite public-facing with 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 that. Was was that was that helpful along the way? How 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 do you process that side of it? I was actually thinking about it on, on, on the way here. I've, one of the reasons for doing that was very much for me as like is like I've told you while we're doing it it was almost like therapy after yeah sort of chatting doing six episodes it was only like 10 15 minutes long weren't they they were very yeah. much segmented about one type of problem or section of the industry stuff like that and yeah it I've forgotten the question now what did you actually <laughs> about my podcast? I don't know if there was a question um, there to be honest it was just you know it, it is a bit I mean that podcast I guess is still there like people can still... go and, and, and listen to that and kind of learn a bit more about your journey because things changed along the 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 way but I, I, I guess that kind of frames this thing about the fact that I feel like you've always been someone that's been quite honest quite public about yeah, things. I mean, it, and and I guess I've always thought about that being a strong point of yours. But you know, with with what has happened over the last twelve months, actually, mm-hmm. is that a strong point? Is is you know, is there a is there a downside to to that? I still see it as such because it's me being me. Yeah, um, I've always been one side of I guess not specifically agency, but let's let's stick with what what what's at the table. A- agency sort of like owners or founders or people involved in it that I don't like about um let's let's use LinkedIn for example. In my mind there's a lot of sort of like um people not being honest is a better word for it than that, but there, there's a lot of um ambiguity around what people post and a lot of like hiding hiding the truth and I've always thought in my head I never wanted to read that. I would want far, far more. I resonate far more with people that are like, right, okay, this is actually going really well, uh, or this is going badly. So I know that I can trust both of those reactions. That makes sense. So like, mm-hmm. if someone is regularly saying, actually, this has been a bit crap this month, or here's the reasons this didn't work, but then all of a sudden next week, they're like, oh, we absolutely smashed this. I can be like, right, actually, they probably did because yeah. they're not the ones that are just constantly chucking out pros. Yeah. Uh, because it isn't. There is always something that's not going right. Uh, there isn't an agency on planet Earth that is 100% yeah. tracking perfectly. I think a lot of it comes down to consistency as well, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's about, you know, you, you you know of agency owners who are posting the kind of more transparent and, you know, introspective and, and somewhat negative view on LinkedIn and their staff have no idea that that's going on. And the first that they hear yeah. about a problem might actually be that the founder is sharing something yeah. that's, you know, they're, they're struggling, mental health, whatever it might be. And there there isn't that connection, that authenticity to, to the business itself. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that's always struck me about you in particular is like the way that you are on a podcast is the way that you are in the office. It's the way that you are everywhere and that I think makes it a lot more easy for people to follow you whether it's clients whether it's staff whether it's you know whoever and, and buy in and, and actually make that a useful and, and, and enlightening look at things yeah and I think the other side to it is that it's a it's a qualifier in terms of so it, whatever works for people so it, this works for me and it also helps me get conversations and contacts and work with the kind of people that like to hear how I am so it does help me build better relationships because typically people will either like you or not. Mm-hmm. So there are people that like the, the, as we were talking about before, the Stephen Bartlett's of the world and, and that sort of level of like hyper positivity and like mm-hmm. quotes and cliches and stuff. And people really grab hold of that and that's fine. But those aren't the people I should work with, if that makes any sense. They should work with Stephen Bartlett and <laughs> not me, not they're in the same world. But yeah. for me, I've, I've always liked that. And in truth, I've, I've got quite a few people that have commented on, especially on the, the sort of change from having staff to just me, there was quite a lot of people that have since been like, oh, right, I, I thought those posts were really great. And like, you know, that has actually fostered some some work and some, well, that's not what it's all about, but yeah. I mean, arguably it's easier, isn't it? I think when you only, you've only got to be responsible to yourself. And I, and I sit here as someone that's in that situation, you know, for, for several years now, my business has just been me. And that's a very conscious decision because it doesn't, you know, I don't, if I post something on LinkedIn and then I haven't got a member of staff saying, well, you didn't talk to me about that. Like, I haven't got any of those concerts, but you, so you went from one to another and then back to that original kind of thing. Th- that thing about being honest, I'd be interested in your perspective on this as well, Stephen, like that thing about being honest when you've got in a, in something like an agency, you've got two really major stakeholders there and you? you've got staff 
who were unpredictable, how they might respond to something that you say publicly if you've not discussed it with them beforehand or yeah. they're not aware of something. But the other is clients, isn't it? And, and oh, yeah. you know, what they read into those kind of things. And, and it's interesting that over the last few years, as a society, we've been a little bit of a journey in terms of how seriously we take things like mental health and people talking about how they feel about things. LinkedIn is is the greatest and the worst platform for this because so much of it is bullshit. But people that are genuinely upfront and honest, but then there's people that are very closely involved in the business that you run that can see that. And so in a, in a way that could be uh, a, a, a negative. How, how did you deal with it? Because you had a lot of staff at, at some mm -hmm. point and I can't imagine the complexities of dealing with all those different personalities and people that couldn't give a toss about kind of like how the company is publicly and then those that get you know, really quite easily wound up about things if you've not talked to them about it. What, what, what was that like? Uh, it was always going to have some fallout. Whatever was said, wherever it was said. And you kind of had to square the fact that you're trying to speak to a mass audience yeah. and the natural repercussion is there's going to be someone, one of your members of staff or a few of your members of staff, one client, a few clients, a few prospects. You don't hear about the prospects because they just don't call you. Yeah. That never happens. But, you know, there's, there's also clients who kind of have a reaction to a, a lot of the things. And really, I think it comes down to whether it's true or not. So when you're saying something on a podcast, whether you're saying something, you know, on your vlog or whatever, the first and most important thing is you believe it's true, you know. And I think what Rise did very well is the, the way that it was presented publicly is the way that it was presented internally as well because you know the the founding team the the leadership team kind of viewed that's how it is you know and there were certainly times where we we got it wrong because we didn't know all of the details on the ground level or because yeah. you know we hadn't heard that particular bit of information which is normal business stuff where you know there's a lot of you know at some points 50 clients there's 100 staff etc there's there's things that you don't know as as the leadership team of the business so you're going to make some mistakes in what you call out there yeah but the the fact is you cannot be all things to all people yeah you try and be polarizing to a degree and kind of attract the people that you think are going to be on board with this kind of stuff and that is absolutely a spectrum. It's not a, all of our staff feel this way about this thing and they're all against that thing. So when you're talking about, you know, segmentation, you're talking about these kind of um, grouping of, of audiences, that, there's some real gray areas in every single one of those marketing audiences, never mind just, just your staff. Some people are going to, you know, Let's let's talk about some of the really hot topics uh, in marketing and in marketing agencies the last couple of years. Purpose, right? Social purpose. Some people are going to be absolutely against this particular thing that other people in your business who agree that they are, you know, that not necessarily call themselves woke, but certainly call themselves socially conscious, they would be cool with that. That's okay. And at the same time, you know, they are vegans and they are not cool with this thing over here. Yeah. There's always going to be fallout. So if you take a viewpoint, a stand, whether you put yourself out there with literally anything, someone somewhere is going to have a problem with it, whether they share it with you or not. I was in a fortunate position, I think, that people would generally share with me when they had a problem with stuff. So I would get people coming to me from within the business, I'll get clients, etc., who would let me know that something that we have said somewhere has been an issue. And then that gives us the opportunity to, you know, deal with it and actually talk to those people about well, what, what was actually the intent behind that or what is this a larger you know, where is this going to experience this in a larger uh, context in the coming months or whatever it might be? So I would rather be in that situation where I can deal with it. You know, complexity is good as long as you know it's there when you think it's really simple and it's not. That's where it's tough. Obviously, now the, the business is, is back to being you I, I i can i can relate to you on this one in terms of the fact that i'm i'm the same and i i sometimes joke with people that the thing about when when your business is just yourself you you kind of like one losing one client away from disaster but winning one client away from just being overwhelmed and all the plates start crashing down mm. there i guess will inevitably come a point where you're back at that crossroads which is i could really do with some help yep I don't know if this is something you've thought about, but how do you feel now when you think about that? 
when that decision comes around again, you've got to think, do I want to take on staff? Do I want to go back down that, that road? Uh, I don't think I would now, which sort of contradicts what I said about it, if I could go back, but we are where we are now. We're, we're, yeah. not, we're not back, we're forward. One of my biggest reflections is that I, I really wish I, and I think I'm the kind of person that would have massively benefited from a co-founder or a business partner to some degree. I think it suits my personality and it's a not a regret, but something that, that's something that would change my mind if, you know, some a situation or someone came along where there might be an opportunity to work together from a more like 50-50 or two senior marketers type thing. I would I would follow that route. But the plan very much is to, to carry on working with freelancers, which I am kind of doing now. So I did have too much work between August and probably right now. It's been at least two people's work, if not two and a half, three. But for reasons like financial and whatever, I've had to kind of do an inhumane amount of work. Um, mm. It's only really the last sort of three or four weeks that I've taken steps to change the work I'm doing because I'm I'm financially more able to make those decisions. Um, so the last sort of three or four weeks have been quite transformational, actually, which is why the podcast is quite well-timed because I've kind of, in the process of, the, of getting rid of some of the historical work that we took on when we had staff because it has skill sets that I don't have and I don't want. TikTok creation is one of the main ones. Like we have a few clients that want reels and TikToks that I just, mm. I, I know them, I get them, I know what works. I just don't want to make them. That's that's the, the truth of it. Um, and, and sort of like more like specifically content planning, I'm trying to move to a place where I'm more like, right, okay, this is the KPI, this is the goal. Right, how do we get there from more than just a social point of view? It's across marketing but yeah the only the only situation I can see myself having staff is with a business partner I suppose or a business yeah okay that makes sense that makes sense I guess one of my questions that I was going to ask you is, is something on the lines of would you do it again and I kind of feel like you've you've sort of answered that there uh, I, again we, we, yeah I probably would start a business with staff with, with someone else but I would take some of the stuff we've already discussed like yeah. from day one right what it sounds so stupid, isn't it? Like, what? What are we actually doing here? <laughs> like, what is what is the end goal? Because I kind of started little messes with just me, and it, it came became what it became. But yeah, I would really nail down on like you touched on sort of brand purpose as well. And I think that's one of the things that, again, looking back, I, I kind of let go of my own morals every now and then for things that I just if I was working at Agency, I, would, I wouldn't have. I'd have been quite mad about it, like talking to like personally. We talked to a vape brand. I don't want to work for a vape brand. Don't know. Looking back, I don't know why we did that. Uh, crypto as well. I mm-hmm. personally don't have any strong feelings towards crypto in a good way. I mean, and again, we had the opportunity to potentially work on some of it, and we still explored it. And in hindsight, I'm not sure how that looked to staff, knowing that they ha- they know how I'm probably that's not the kind of thing that I'd normally work on. So, did did you have to compromise any of your kind of values at any point? Not with regards to the kind of clients we might take on. Um, I remember doing interviews like getting prospective new staff on board and and I would usually be involved or or my co-founder would usually be involved in at least one stage of that and a couple of my standard questions would always be our biggest client is Boohoo Group how do you feel about that because I don't want this to get to a later stage where they have a problem with that because they didn't know and one of the other things that we did quite frequently we had um, a survey when everyone joined we asked them what are your five dream brands? And then we had a leak table of what is everyone in the office's dream brands to work on. And despite the fact that Rise was 75% female, Pornhub was in the top three. Right. So I, w- I would always, or, or typically say in an interview, you know, this is, a, this is a thing we do. The whole office has been polled and they want to work with Pornhub. Do you want to work with Pornhub? Because if Pornhub call us, there's going to be three quarters of the people in this building who are going to be celebrating. If you're not going to be one of those people celebrating, you probably shouldn't come in. And, you know, it is less about my individual, what clients I would like to work for and what clients I would not like to work for. I had favorite clients, for sure. (laughs) You know, um, some of my favorite clients of all time, like Care Fertility, you're helping people to have babies, Mm. wonderful. Park Dean Resorts, wonderful people, but also you're making memories with your family, those kind of things, because that's, Mm. that's, you know, they're they're important to me. Uh, I am not a fast fashion customer, generally speaking, so it's it's less important to me, but what you have to do as, as a business owner, when you've got a lot of staff is to try and keep as many people as happy as possible. And one of the difficult things is when, you know, you've got this whole 
almost a generational divide in the business where you've got a lot of people who they really want to work with Boohoo. Like, okay, you know, who, who am I to say that? Because my first client in an agency was Wonga.com. I had five bingo sites, a poker site. I had a, a, a Russian business that made that wrote essays for university students who didn't want to write their own stuff. That's what I came into the world of right. marketing doing work like that. And you kind of don't really, you know, you don't always think, certainly not 2012, you didn't think, hmm, not sure I agree with this. You start to think, I've got a job I quite like. I'm working with people who seem quite cool. I'm learning a lot. These are opportunities in front of me. And it's only when you get further down the line that you've really got the opportunity to go, I agree with that or I don't agree with that. My next business, whatever it might be, am I going to be super excited to work with Russian mafia? No, I don't think I would do that. <laughs> That's probably going to be off the cart. <laughs> um, I'm really intrigued on on um, you asking everyone in interviews how they feel about working with you know client A. Did anyone say actually no? I don't think I'd. I, mm. I, you know, it would go. How how do you how do you compute that? Because I would kind of think you must have a huge amount of respect for anyone that says actually no, I don't agree with that. But then similarly, we probably can't employ you. Yeah, absolutely, and. I would usually call an interview at that point. You know, we would ha be having this conversation. I would I would very much be keen for this interview to be over the phone, like people aren't traveling to do this kind of stuff. It was really obvious that Rise worked with the clients it worked with because yeah. we said it everywhere yeah. as often as possible. Fair point. So, you know, it was very well signposted. But there were conversations, you know, where we, we had... We, we had a conversation, had an interview with someone who had a problem with that particular client. And, you know, my job there is to say, look, from a, a commercial point of view, this isn't going to change. This client pays us a million pounds a year. And, you know, with the best will in the world, that's not just your job. That's all of these people's jobs as well. I'm afraid, you know, this is probably not the business for you. There's going to be another one somewhere that might be. The, the secret is like every digital marketing agency in the world has a gambling affiliate client somewhere, <laughs> you know, under the under the under their floorboard somewhere. They've got something somewhere. Some don't, and you know that that's that's a wonderful thing. I think if you if you are the type of person that has a very strong opinion of what kind of clients you do want to work for and what kind of clients you don't want to work for, yeah. you should absolutely seek out those agencies. They're in demand, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of people who have. A particular moral standpoint that they want to they want to stand behind. It's kind of like the big push for agencies to be B corps in my mind. Yeah, as in, uh, I think there needs to be a frank and honest admission from some people that it's a marketing tool as well as something good to do. But yeah, uh, I, I personally wouldn't have minded Little Messers having a more public uh, brand purpose. Mm. Again, looking back and reflecting, it would have been nice for people to go right. They typically work with that kind of client. Yeah. So yeah, another thing I think we didn't have was like that. We said the niche isn't it? We didn't have one of those. Mm -hmm. you, you you hinted in there about whatever you do next. I've got to ask you, where are you in terms of what comes next? I am an agency guy through and through. I love agency life. I like the people. I like spending time with people. I like being able to work with people who are smarter than me. And, you know, I, I have these strengths I have all of these weaknesses and I need a team to cover my back on a bunch of that stuff so I, I also have been at home for a long time I'm not a, I, I can I can work at home I like being I, like, I love the flexibility right post pandemic this is a wonderful thing but I couldn't be at home five days a week so you know I would I'm I'm going to be in an office somewhere at least some of the time so it's kind of like you start to narrow down this and this and this I, it'll be a few more months before I'm back in the game uh, for lots of reasons. Um, but I know what I'm good at. I know what I like doing. And I, I think like, you know, your, your question to Tom earlier, would you do it again? Like, I wouldn't do a business like Rise at Seven now because I've done one. If I had never done Rise at Seven, I would do it again. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it's there's such a learning curve. And I think one of the things that really drives me is being able to learn lots of new stuff. And when you've got that, opportunity to have a business and learn just, you you never knew about pensions you never knew that you needed to know this stuff yeah you know it's it's such a, a a fun and rewarding part even when you're getting it wrong left right and center because you've got some new knowledge that you didn't have before and you're thinking like you know i'm 36 i've probably got a bit of time left to do this in the future and next time i'll, I'll get that bit right and i'll get a new bit wrong my next question was going to be, would you do it again? 
would you definitively rule out doing it again? I am not really... Oh, firstly, I'm not financially in a position where I need to start a new business with the intention of selling it. Right. So that's that's not a driver uh, other than arguably ego, but, you know, I could totally live without doing that. That really doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. I probably wouldn't start a new business for the main reason that I don't want to do the startup thing again. I don't want to be on my own in an office for a period of time until I hire yeah. a bunch of people. And, and and like Tom, what really drives me is working with people who are smart experts doing their thing that have probably done it for five years, 10 years, that I can learn from who've got some similar life experience, who've got a similar, you know, not lifestyle per se, but certainly got, you know, um, they're at a similar life stage, whatever. And I, I do feel like starting a business from scratch now, I'm going to have that period of time where I'm growing, you know, hiring entry level, training people to do some things that I know that there are people out there better than me at. So I'm only going to be training them to this standard and someone else could be training them way, way beyond that. It's I, I I'm not super keen on the startup thing again, really. Fair, fair. I was just going to say, do you think it's um, one of the things that people ask me or have asked me quite a lot is would I take a, like a job again? Because obviously I've now spent almost four years completely self-employed in one way or the other. Um, yeah. Uh, the question was like, what do you think it's like a good thing for people to do to go from being their own boss to being back at work or yeah. What's your views on, on that? I think everyone's different. Yeah. Some pe- I, I speak to a bunch of people who say that they are now unemployable, right? Fair enough. That's kind of what I feel. Yeah, go on. I think like when you've got the business, you own the business, it's like drinking from the fire hose. Everything, all of the time, from all directions. And I personally, the sort of person I am, I could I could just lose myself in that. You know, I could absolutely work every single hour of the day and I need someone to stop me and ring me, rein me in and say, this is the job that needs to be done. Or for me to agree with them, this is where we need to go to. And this is, you know, what needs to happen. And I don't need to worry about these things over here because, you know, it's not my business. Um, I am really personality wise, potentially a workaholic and I need (laughs) boundaries so that's why I think being a business owner is some, some you know, in theory, if you listen to LinkedIn and hustle culture and everything, I am the machine that is made for this. Mm. That's not really conducive to a family life. And Even when you had the more senior sort of stage where you had the, the more senior hires to look after some of the stuff, do you still feel like you had a lack of control of them boundaries or not? There are always other frontiers. There's always (laughs) something else. So like I was really lucky to hire incredible people in senior roles like Sally Rushton coming in to run strategy and Nick Hussey coming in to run operations, etc. And I felt absolutely comfortable. You've got that. Mm -hmm. You don't need me. If you do need me, I'm here. But then it's like, America's over there. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to do business in these other languages? What are we going to do about these new services, etc.? There's always something else. There's never going to be, a, I think, a point where you're like, everything's running the way it should be. That's not any reflection on the people that you've got in charge of things. It's like, there's always going to be new things. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're always kind of looking for the next opportunity. Or, more often than not, the next thing that's going to come and hit you around the back of the head. Like pandemic or you know um cost of living crisis or war or whatever it might be being prepared for all those things it's just like that productive paranoia Hmm. it's 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 a good thing from a business owner's point of view but it's also a bad thing from a a work-life balance point of view i don't know how much time we've got left but i'm I'm interviewing you now (laughs) go for it go for it i I was it's just interesting because i think where where our personalities differ is is probably on that like I, i would not describe myself as a workaholic. I've got tons of ideas all the time. I've got a book full of ridiculous stuff that I'd like to do, but I have quite, I've always been quite keen on, and again, same thing when I had the agency, I was quite keen on everyone having very defined levels of like, right, we get to work at between eight and 10, we leave between four and six, sometimes mm-hmm. earlier, should the wind take us. Well, a point I'm gonna to get to is that I, again, on reflection, I think that your personality is probably why, and co-founders, why you ended up with the success you did, whereas do you, is it your opinion that mine, which is probably a bit more 
not less driven, but there's less, I, I put less hours in the day to the business. Do you think that you can still have a successful business without that mentality? Is my question. It's a good question. Do you think you need it? Uh, I don't. Again, this is firstly define success, right? Because yeah. it isn't a black and white, this is successful and this is not successful. Because successful could actually be, we make this healthy margin and we've got this amount of time in our personal lives that are so fulfilling and rich that I don't need to worry about that. This is not my hobby, right? That kind yeah. of thing can be a massive success factor. And I don't think you need that personality to be able to get to, to that point. Mm -hmm. If you want a business that is, you know, uh, world renowned or whatever it might be, it probably helps to have that kind of personality, I think. But that is not the benchmark that everyone should be aiming for, in, in my opinion. I think time inputted is, is a really weird concept as well, because if I think about like the way that I would spend my time when I was running a business, I would very infrequently have my laptop open after 6pm. Okay. I would absolutely be focused mind on that particular problem and you know distracted from the things I should be doing at home and that kind of thing I'd be sat on the sofa looking like a, a zombie because I'm just thinking about this thing I did I think it's a lot of kind of processing the the day's events and processing the data and trying to get to an answer to mm -hmm. things and a lot of the success I think really comes from got to answers of things and did it or didn't do it depending on what I thought was the right thing to do and moved on to the next thing and kind of mm. just got a lot of stuff done. But that doesn't mean like being working at a laptop or on a phone or whatever 24 hours a day. So it, it work is like this really um, ephemeral concept. I think it's not just a you're working hard if you are typing away. Um, no, there's definitely a correlation in there between I think between time inputted and and what you get back out the other end. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it does come down to a per personality thing as well. It's because, you know, some people are planners. I'm a planner. I want to know every eventuality and I want to be prepared for it. Some yeah. people can absolutely wing it. And if that's the case, then, you know, you, you might be reactive to a lot of different things, mm. but you can move on to the next thing that's the immediate problem in front of you. And you're dealing with a lot of stuff that's coming at you pretty rapidly, whereas I'll be dealing with a lot of stuff that I think might happen. And the reality is that because I've dealt with it, it probably won't happen. Um, so it's it's just a different different type of work, I think. Yeah, I think the first situation you described there was basically a lifestyle business, right? In terms of you know what success looks looks like for that that type of person, and again as you were talking, I think that's a reflection on again yet another thing that wasn't settled down was at times I was running a lifestyle business trying to run it like a rise at seven that, or, yeah. try, or trying to get to where a rise at seven was getting to. This is never going to happen if that's the way the whole business is tuned in mm -hmm. to behave like that and act like that and work like that when you're trying to get to a a, a level that requires. You know, a bit more above and beyond, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, that's. Mm. I mean, I get, I, exactly that, right? A lifestyle business is not a thing to be sniffed at, despite what LinkedIn might suggest. Because, you know, this can be a really good lifestyle. It's got lots of pros to it. And I think as long as you acknowledge that that's what you're trying to do, and, and likewise in the opposite, opposite end of the spectrum, like when it became almost a choice between, okay, Rise at 7 is probably not going to be, going to sell in the way that I wanted to sell, it's actually a lifestyle business then, right? If you, if you think about, okay, well, I'm going to yeah. stay here and I'm going to run this. This is my lifestyle. Is that the lifestyle that I want? Personally, that wasn't a lifestyle that I could sustain uh, from a mental point of view as much <laughs> as anything. So that's, you know, it, it, it's still that kind of choice. It's like the, the lifestyle business is designed entirely around you and that's got to be a good thing. That's, that, there's nothing wrong with being able to say, I'm going to run my business exactly how I want to run it. Mm -hmm. um, when the problems come up, it's like, and also I'm going to hire 200 people. Yeah. Do you think anyone can do it? Or what am I asking? You, you talked about um, being a, a planner and uh, being a workaholic. Like, can, can anyone, if they work hard enough and plan enough, do it? Or is there an element of getting the timing right, a little bit of luck. You just happen to be in a room with someone who's marketing manager for that brand and you just start that conversation at the right time. 
Well, it's been like 53 minutes since I've mentioned Jim Collins. You knew it was coming. Uh, Jim <laughs> Collins, right, has this concept, return on luck, which I think is absolutely profound. It's not just that or some businesses get luckier than others. Everyone gets the same amount of luck, really. Right. It's just about recognizing when you got lucky and making the most of it. Yeah. Rise at Seven, incredibly lucky business. Probably no more lucky than anyone else, but we're like that was lucky, we should really double down on that. We should do more of that. We should, you know, make the most of this opportunity that's just fallen into our lap. You know, when we were talk I was talking earlier about expanding across Europe, we had one client who was like, I like what you do for us in the UK. Could you do it in Germany? And we go, yeah, <laughs> we'll figure that out. Sure, Lovely client, brilliant, brilliant person bought into us to do that. And we're like, that's a lucky break. Let's make the most of it. Um, so I think in the sense of, Everyone gets a similar amount of luck, arguably. You know, there's obviously a lot of privilege in that statement right there. But, um, you know, everyone can get lucky breaks. I think, yes, anyone can do it. But I think some people are more suited to it. And okay. I wouldn't suggest that it's the right choice for everyone. Like, whenever you see one of my real pet hates on LinkedIn, it's like everyone's like, you know, Though, if if it was easy, everyone would do it. And, you know, everyone should want to start a business. I'm like, no, they shouldn't. They, they, they shouldn't. <laughs> it's not like, it, it's not what should motivate everyone. I think some people are that person, some people aren't. And if you're not that person, that that's a good thing. That's that recognize that as a strength. We are running out of time. I'm going to slip back into uh, standard podcast host mode here to ask you both. Really, what what lessons? you want to share what what you've learned over your your journey over the last 12 18 months that you uh, that you feel is productive to share uh that's a great question a lot really i think i've covered the basis of it really is yeah. if you are uh, again not everyone has to start a business but if you are thinking of doing one uh, the, the advice that you read from people sort of the cliches and the, the tropes, whilst I may have been disparaging about them before, there is a reason they're cliches. There's a lot of them are true, like what is it, higher, higher, slow, fire, fast, and all those various things and be like very considerate about your growth. And if you know, it's interesting you said about um, grabbing hold of luck, because I've also never been a prescriber of people get, like you make your own luck type vibe, I do actually believe in that. Yeah. But yeah, if you can establish a niche, lean into it. It, it, it makes things 10 times easier. Um, yeah, make sure that you like, uh, <laughs> I've got so many, they're all sporadic, but they're basically all around focus and having a, and having a, a defined goal and not on not wavering from it just because something knocks you off slightly. My prediction is you'll have written a book within the next two years. We'll <laughs> I would love right. to write a book. <laughs> I think, I, it sounds like you've still got quite a lot of st stuff to compute. Yes. And it'll be really interesting when you do. We'll probably, I mean, I, you know, we'll probably sit here and do this again at some point as well. Stephen, lessons when you look back? I, I think like I would definitely agree with Tom and I'd elaborate and say, you know, whenever you're focusing, uh, which is absolutely the right thing to do, you just got to recognize what you're not doing as a result of that. Every decision you make is a choice to not do this other thing over here. And the key thing is to like not compare yourself against someone who's doing a really good job of this thing you've decided not to do. Like you're always going to second guess yourself. If you're going to run a high growth business, you get used to the fact that you're going to deal with some awful clients, you're going to not fire some people you should have fired, etc. because you've got this particular path that you're on. And likewise, on the other side of things, you know, if you're running a lifestyle business, you've made some choices to not hire, 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 hire all the time. And that's also not a bad thing. It's just about recognizing when I'm going to do this thing instead of this thing, you know, I've got to just be okay with the fact that I'm not getting these other pluses, but I'm also not getting these other cons on the other side of that tom thank you um appreciate joining us appreciate you being so honest as you always are <laughs> and you know good good luck with whatever comes next as things do unfold for you now in this kind of new iteration of what you're um doing yeah and if you want to be my business partner there's like a, a little pitch in there for that if anyone's interested in partnering up <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll live <laughs> podcast that somewhere along the line Stephen thank you you up for coming back next month absolutely brilliant let's do it thank you guys cheers Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Steel City Business. It's been really lovely to have you with us. Now, you know how this works. If you've enjoyed it and you want in on future episodes, then just follow us on your podcast app or on YouTube. 
The show is very active on LinkedIn. Just search for Steel City Business and come and connect with me as well while you're at it. Big thank you to The Curious for helping make this podcast happen. There's loads more about the show at steelcity.business and you can get in touch by emailing james at steelcity.business. And hey, if you're in business in Sheffield, then, well, why not put yourself forward as a guest for a future episode? And of course, we're always open for a good chat about how audio marketing could work for your brand. Until next time, thanks for listening.